Hey, New Cities, Pastor Eric here. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Um, I'm so excited to introduce to you today, Pastor Brian Miller. Uh, he's one of my good friends. He's a pastor at Mercy Hill Church. Uh, he's gonna be bringing God's word today. He's been walking with me through our entire church planning journey, uh, kind of shepherding us and kind of helping us have oversight um, of our church. And so um, I hope that you'll, you'll be expecting to hear from uh, Pastor Brian out of Psalm 61 as we begin our new series in the God Who Restores. All right, so with that said, let me go ahead and pray uh, before Pastor Brian comes up. Father, we're so thankful. Um, that you uh, you love us, you care for us, you've given us your word uh, that helps to minister to us, uh, that helps us and encourages us. And Father, we pray um, that we would prepare our hearts, uh, that we would be expectant to hear from you. Um, and so we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, New City Church, my name is Brian Miller. I'm one of the pastors at Mercy Hill Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, your sending church. And what a crazy year this has been. There have been so many ups and downs. There have been setbacks and celebrations. And I just want you to know that when you guys go through hard times and difficulties, uh, when you are mourning, we mourn with you. And when you celebrate, we rejoice with you. We love celebrating your first baptism this year and just amazed at what God has done. We know that God's mission continues. We say it all along that you, can, you can't quarantine the Great Commission. We know that God is still moving. He's still using you in Tampa, around University of South Florida to accomplish his mission and to build his church. And so we are just so excited for your faithfulness and your commitment to his fame and his gospel. I'm also thankful so much for your pastor, Eric. I love him. I love that he doesn't take himself too seriously, but yet he takes very seriously uh, his calling to speak truth and to lead you and love you uh, as the church. And so I'm grateful that he asked me uh, to share this message. Today, we're going to start a new series called The God Who Rescues. And it's a great time. It's a transition time at the end of one year, the beginning of the next. I know there's a lot of people who are looking for things to be restored. I know there's a lot of parents who are looking for the schools. Can we just return to in-person education? That's what restoration is. It's, it's a return to its original form. Restoration is needed when something has been broken, when something has been damaged. You know, I think of the cathedral at Notre Dame. Uh, 2019, a massive fire tore down many parts of this structure that stood for over 800 years. And it's just such an iconic building. It's such a beautiful work of art that it has still taken over a year for them to even determine how much it's going to cost to rebuild it. They're still making plans for what this is going to look like, then the effort it's going to take to restore Notre Dame to its original beauty, its original state. Right now, best estimates uh, guess that it's going to be over $8 billion to restore this. It's going to take more than 20 years to restore it. It's going to take 400 new tradesmen who have to learn brand new skills, skills that aren't practiced today in, in stonework and masonry in order to accomplish the work of rebuilding, restoring this great cathedral. And so I think Oftentimes when people think about restoration, they, they ask, what's the point? Like, is it really worth it? Is it worth restoring that old car? Is it worth restoring that house? Is it wor worth restoring this relationship? Restoration is costly. It takes time. It takes patience. And in this series, we're going to be looking at the God who restores. And that shows us that God is willing to enter in. God is willing to pay the price. He's willing to go through the painstaking toil to not just start over, but to restore, 
to bring us back to him, to restore all things and make all things new. It's going to be a series looking at several different psalms. And today we're going to be in Psalm 61. So if you have a Bible in your home, if you can pull it up on an app, I invite you to go to Psalm 61. That's where we're going to be looking at today. And in Psalm 61, we hear the cry of a heart that is in need of being restored. Psalm 61 verse 1 says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We know that David wrote this psalm, but we don't know the circumstances that he was in when he gave words to this song. But we do get a sense of how he felt. It says here that he feels like he's at the end of the earth. He's far removed from civilization. He's far away from human help. He is far away and no one is looking after him. There's no one to direct him, to guide him. He's unknown. He's lonely. And he says his heart is faint. What are the symptoms of a faint heart? It's something that we've probably all experienced at one point or another in our life. Think of the word faint. A faint smell is barely noticeable. A faint light is weak and barely shining. Is David referring to a physically exhausted heart that's barely being? No, because in Scripture, the heart always means so much more than our physical heart. It means more than just our emotions. In Scripture, the heart is the seat of the mind, is the seat of the will, is the seat of the emotions all together. With the heart, we perceive what is valuable and desirable. With the heart, we express ourselves. and With the heart, we resolve to go in a certain direction. With the heart, we long. With the heart, we trust. And with the heart, we direct. You know, growing up, playing sports, playing ball, I remember that oftentimes there were players that we described as, man, they play with a lot of heart. They were players who, man, every time they took to the field, they just gave it all, right? They, they left it all on the field. They, their passion and their commitment to improve was unmatched. And when they were in a game, no matter what the score was, they, they always kind of held on to this expectation that the game could turn at any moment and that either side could win. We encourage other people, hey, don't lose heart. Don't give up, right? Don't lose hope. Don't quit. But yet David here says his heart is faint. He's close to quitting. A faint heart has lost that drive, that passion, that resolve to give it everything. When the heart is faint, life is dull. Nothing ignites. Nothing excites and sparks. The great sense of value that you once had has now diminished, and you find yourself thinking, is it, is it worth all the effort? Is it worth keeping this up? A faint heart has lost its commitment. It's, it's unsure of which way to go. We could be faint-hearted in our relationships, faint-hearted in a marriage, in parenting, with friends. We can be faint-hearted in responsibilities, our work, our school, volunteering. We can be faint-hearted with God, faint-hearted with the church, faint-hearted towards the lost. This plea for God to hear my cry, it gives us the sense that perhaps David felt like God himself was far away. Does God see me? Does God even care? Doubt was increasing and confidence was thinning. Hope barely flickered. See, a faint heart is a heart that needs to be restored. 
to have passion restored and purpose restored, to have confidence and hope restored. A faint heart needs the help of the God who restores. David's cry for help, it instructs us how we should respond when we feel that our heart is faint. In the psalm, we see that there are, are three turns that guide us in how to restore our hearts. Number one, cry out. Number two, think back. And number three, hope again. So let's look at these in turn. And all you need to do to pay attention to these and see where these occur in the psalm is to see the verb tense, past, present, and future. Let me read those first two verses again. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This is the present tense. This is how David feels in the moment. And this cry is a loud, piercing cry. Every parent knows that feeling of panic when they can't find their child. Right? Well, maybe I don't know that it's every parent, but at least for those of us who have experienced this, we like to think it's a universal issue. But I remember, um, and actually this happened pretty recently, my, my oldest son, who's seven, Drew, he, he's gotten to this phase where he loves to hide. Like not when we're playing hide and seek, he just likes to go off and, and hide. And he's really good at it. Like, you know, he, he'll hide in his room and we'll think he's asleep and gone to bed. And then we'll be downstairs getting ready for bed, going to sleep. And he'll sneak down and we don't hear a peep out of him. And then right as soon as we are falling asleep, he just like scares the bejesus out of us. I mean, it's just like crazy uh, how he scares us. And a couple of, maybe a few days ago, uh, my wife, Lindsay, and I, we were both kind of around the house and just kind of doing chores, doing things while uh, the three boys were kind of off to themselves playing. And we, we would, you know, momentarily check in on them. Um, that's certainly needed in our household with three boys. Um, and, but, you know, after some time went, I asked my wife, I said, hey, have, where's Drew at? And she's like, I, I don't know. I thought he was with you. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm sure he's around here somewhere. And so I, I start calling out, Drew. Hey, Drew. Right? begin looking in every room, begin opening the back door, opening the front door. Pretty soon, I'm out in the neighborhood walking the streets, yelling at the top of my lungs, Drew! Drew! And it wasn't until my voice escalated to a point of panic, a point of desperation, that he finally popped out and emerged and said, Hey, Dad, here I am, right? When a parent loses a child, they don't just softly, quietly, casually call out their name. No, they're desperate. They cry out, for their child. A heart that's in need of restoration must cry out to God. God, would you please? This isn't because we have to strive for God's attention. I'll show you that in a minute. But crying out is more about turning our attention to our own hearts. It's about recognizing and admitting our need for help. You know, there are times when I get stressed out you know, maybe work's busy. Maybe there's some heavy counseling situations I'm involved in. And, and uh, you know, I'm not always very good at reading my own emotional tachometer, you know, tachometer. Like, it, it, like I'm, I'm not good at realizing when I'm about to redline and like just kind of blow an emotional gasket, right? But my wife, she can sense it, right? She can read it. She's very good. And so, you know, she'll sense it. She'll, she'll ask, hey, what's wrong? I'm like, ah, I hate that question. Such an annoying question, right? Because th- that question uh, it, it just reveals, like, it, I have to admit uh, that I am overwhelmed. I have to admit my weakness. And so, and sometimes instead of sharing how I feel, 
Instead of letting her in with what's kind of going on, what I'm wrestling with, what I'm processing, what I'll do is I'll just kind of make a curt request of just saying like, hey, I just, I just need more time uh, at work this week. Hey, if you can just handle a few things uh, on your own to allow me to spend more time, uh, focus on this, that would be great. That, that's all I need. What does that do for our relationship? Right? It doesn't foster intimacy. For there to be a true relationship, for there to be intimacy, we have to share our hearts. Yet how many times in our prayers do we go to God and we ask nothing more than, God, will you just give me wisdom for this situation? God, will you just give me strength to get through this? And we don't share our emotions with God. We don't tell God, God, this hurts. God, I'm really sad. God, I'm lonely. God, I'm angry. God, I feel alone. I'm confused. Now, I'm not saying don't ask for wisdom. I'm not saying don't pray for strength. Like, pray for wisdom and strength. Those are good prayers. But don't stiff arm God, right? Don't say, God, just, just give me these things, and I'll get through on my own, and I'll, I'll leave you alone. I won't bother you anymore, right? God wants to be bothered by you. If my son comes home from school, and I can tell he's upset, you know, maybe he's got tears in his eyes or, you know, I, I, I want him to open up to me. I want him to share why. I want him to tell me about his day. And if all he does is just say, hey, dad, just, just give me a snack. Yeah, of course, I'll be glad to give him a snack. But what I really want is I want him to open up and trust me with his thoughts and his emotions, right? I want him to share his life. If he doesn't, I feel like he's, he's keeping me out. He's withholding his life from me. He's leaving me out. And God wants you to come to him. God wants you to offer your full heart, to pour it out to him. God wants you. And perhaps God seems distant to you because you stopped crying out to him and sharing your feelings with him. You put God in a box that's separate from the rest of your life. Relationships need emotion, right? Relationships need emotions like fire needs oxygen. If you're still unconvinced that pouring out your heart is the right response, then why did Jesus cry out? Right? The Bible tells us that at the death of his friend Lazarus, Jesus cried. Actually, it doesn't say that. It says that Jesus wept. That is a strong showing of emotion. Right? Why did Jesus weep? Well, he wept because he's perfect. And weeping is the perfect response of love to a great loss. We live in a broken world. Sadness, loneliness, Fear, grief, anger are all emotions that God has given us to alert us that all is not well. And not only did Jesus display strong emotions, but Jesus prayed his emotions. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. One pastor put it like this. He said, Your tears are not a sign of your weakness. Your tears are a sign of Christ's likeness. Cry out to God. See, crying out invites God's help to sort through life's brokenness, to sort through the mess, to make sense of it. Crying out to God is about recognizing and admitting our need for help. David acknowledges his need when he prays in Psalm 61 2, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me, because I can't get there on my own. I'm entrusting myself to you. I'm surrendering control and placing myself under your leadership. 
Again and again throughout Scripture, God is metaphorically depicted as a rock. Now, a rock that is bigger and higher than you, is, it's a pretty big rock, right? It's a rock that's not going anywhere. You can push against it, and it holds firm. It's reliable. It's strong. It offers safety and protection. A high rock also offers you a great vantage point. In life's difficult seasons, it's so easy to become self-absorbed. Like I've, I've seen this in my own heart this year. Like when COVID restrictions come into place, my first thought is like, oh, how does this affect me? I don't think about how it impacts other people. See, the heart's natural inclination is to turn inward, to look out for me, myself, and I. But it's this inward turning that doesn't, it doesn't heal our hearts. In fact, it's what damages our heart in the first place. It's what causes faint hearts. Right? Why do our hearts become faint? Why do they fall into need of repair? Maybe like the, the cathedral in Notre Dame, there was an occasion that damaged us. Maybe you, have, maybe you gave your heart to something or, or someone and that person let you down. Maybe you exposed your heart and you were met with disapproval. I remember a, a grown man sharing a story of when he was a child and he was you know, a young boy in school and kind of got his first uh, crush, first sense of kind of puppy love. And, um, and that, he found out that girl didn't like him. That girl liked Johnny instead. And he was crushed. And he goes home and, and he's just sobbing and he's crying. And, and his dad is like, why are you crying? Like, oh, boy, that's so silly. That's puppy love. Like, you don't need to cry about that. There's more fish in the sea, right? His dad did not just, his dad crushed him. And the message that, that that man said that he received, the commitment that he made internally was never show my emotions again. And so he grew up through his adolescent years, through his young adulthood, stifling his emotions, never learning to express his emotions, sharing them. And, and then he realized his heart had become faint. To avoid the pain of hurting like that again, we neglect our hearts. We suppress our feelings. We become more guarded, self-protecting. But in that process, we forsake intimacy. Remember that the heart does more than just feel, right? The heart perceives. The heart assigns value. And so we need to be led to see that there is something, someone that is more valuable than ourselves. We need to be led to a rock that is higher than I. We need to gaze and have our, our gaze turned outward. Our hearts need to see something that is higher, that is of greater glory, of greater value. Only then will it spark again. Only then can we offer it in worship. Christ is our rock. Look to the physical rocks around you. See that they have endured for hundreds of years, and yet Christ has endured for longer. Christ is eternal. Look to the mountains that tower above and know that Christ is higher still. Look to the heavens, the stars, the galaxies, and know that Christ created them all. His love is our sure foundation. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there is nothing more lovely or more glorious or more worthy than Jesus. He is God, and there is no other. Well, after crying out, the second turn in the psalm is David thinks back. Notice how the language changes to past tense in verse 3. It says, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. 
Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. God is our refuge, our hiding place. He's a fortified tower that protects us. We're told in the accounts of Jesus' life that he he looked over the city of Jerusalem with an ache in his heart. And he said, how often I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. You know, earlier I, I said that, hey, we don't need to clamor to get God's attention. And that's because God desires to be with us. Multiple times in scripture, God promised, if you seek me, you will find me. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Abide in Christ and he abides in you. He's not going to leave. You know, the Psalms show us that God is a personal God, that we can have a personal relationship with him. And for many years I heard that, that we can have a personal relationship with God, but I never really understood that until I began thinking about, hey, you know what? There are certain people in life that are more personable than others. And I began thinking about certain people that I know. And I want you to think about certain people that you know that are, man, they're just so personable. Like, what are they like? Right? They are approachable. They are people that when you talk to them, man, they're focused. They care. They, they value you. Right? They, they want to know how you're really doing. Like, they're not so concerned about themselves. They want to hear about you. You don't need to pretend in front of them. They're accessible. Well, David's greatest desire is to be in God's presence forever because God is like that. God is personable. God is approachable. God is accessible. He has made himself so. And here's the astonishing thing. David's great desire was to be in God's presence, but the astonishing thing is that God's desire is that we would be in his presence as well. His whole plan is that he will be our God and we will be his people and that we, that he will dwell with us and us with him forever. That is the amazing storyline of scripture. What do you run to when you feel overwhelmed? Where do you turn to give you a sense of security? Do you try to escape the mess, distract yourself maybe with entertainment, shopping, food, substance, sex? Do you look to money or to a relationship for security? Do you pour yourself into work for a greater sense of significance? Those those are things that we strive to control and manage. But trying to control and manage those things is like trying to build up a a mound of sand on the shoreline, right? Any wave, any weight that is placed upon it, and, and it's going to bring it down in an instant. Those things are not a rock that you can build your life upon. They're not a tower that you can take refuge in. But turning to God is a safe place to offer our hearts. And he's the only one strong enough to not wash away in the storm. When we forget God, we substitute God. So when your heart is faint, think back over what God has done for you. Thinking back builds our trust and the confidence in him. And trust is foundational for intimacy. Or maybe you can't think back to a time where you've seen God act on, on your behalf. You're, you're not really sure that he's ever been there. If that's the case, then I encourage you to look back even further. I encourage you to look back into history, real life history. Look back to the cross when Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life that none of us have ever lived. And yet he substituted himself in, in, in our place, in my place, in your place, 
to take the punishment of those sins, the wrongs that we had done against him. He paid for that penalty and he died on the cross in our place. And then he rose again so that he could offer his life, his reward to us. We who were once his enemy, he now adopts into his family. Look again at Psalm 61 verse 5. It says, you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Right? Heritage refers to family. It refers to bloodline. God grafts us into his family. And when you're family, you're accepted. When you're family, you're in, you belong. You don't have to fix yourself up before coming to God. He accepts you through Christ. Well, after crying out and thinking back, the third and final turn of this psalm is to hope again, to look forward with expectation. Verse six, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. You know, a faint heart struggles to hope. A faint heart doesn't allow itself to expect good things out of fear of being disappointed again and again and again. A faint heart easily grows indifferent and apathetic. But a restored heart will express glad anticipation. A restored heart expresses praise. It's interesting here that David, he starts talking about the king here. David, after all, was the king. So did he really expect God to give him, you know, help him to reign forever? That he would always be the king? No, God promised David that one of his sons would reign forever. See, the Psalms are always looking forward to a greater king, a king who will rule all nations. It's the king of Psalm 2, who is also God's own son. It's the king who blesses all those who take refuge in him. And Jesus is this king. You know, we've just been through an election cycle and everyone knows that whoever is in power, there's implications for everyone else. David puts his hope in God's eternal king because he knows that this king will rule with justice and love. He will exert his authority for our good. Everything right now may look drab and dim, but the future will be filled with praise. That doesn't mean that your circumstances are necessarily going to get better. They may actually get worse in the year ahead. But followers of Jesus continue to look forward knowing that all things will one day be restored. And this is what motivates our obedience. By looking forward with hope, the faint heart renews its commitment. 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul writes to the church and he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, we're getting old, we're getting tired, yet inwardly, We are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, all of those hardships, all of those pains. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God is the God who restores. And so when your heart is faint, Cry out to him in prayer. Pour out your heart. Be honest with your emotions before God. He is your refuge. And when your heart is faint, think back. 
recount his faithfulness from generation to generation. Though his people wandered away and rejected him, God never left. He didn't even spare his own son, but gave his son for you and for me. When your heart is faint, allow yourself to hope again. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope in God does not disappoint because he is the God who restores. Let's pray. Father, help our hearts to see your beauty. Help our hearts to see that you are at work. God, I pray for New City Church. God, I pray that you would give them an incredible year of ministry. God, that even when things are hard and things are difficult and things are unknown, God, that that their love for one another, that their love for their city would be a visible representation of who you are, would show others that you are the good king who is coming to reign and rule and that your kingdom will be established forever and it is a good kingdom. So God, fill them with hope as they approach this new year. Fill them with courage Fill them with heart. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.